0: Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You're listening to a TVO podcast.
0: I'm Colin Ellis, and welcome to a special bonus episode of On Docs. Alex West, co-host of the Faculty of Horror podcast, joins me again to talk about Best Worst Movie, a 2009 documentary about the fandom surrounding one of the worst movies ever made, Troll 2. How does it feel that you were the director of the worst movie ever made? I did a very good movie. We really were trying to make a good movie. We really were. You can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it. I think I maybe hoped it wouldn't be as bad as it was, but it was. It was one or two adjectives that describe the way you felt when you first saw Troll 2 after being in it. Um, well... If you're a fan of cult horror movies, then you've no doubt heard of a little film called Troll 2. It's built up quite a bit of a reputation since its release in 1990 and spawned a dedicated fanbase. The documentary not only looks at the fans who host Midnight Madness screenings of the movie, but also the actors who, for better and worse, are forever associated with the legacy of Troll 2. And now here's my conversation with Alex West. Well, should we talk about Best Worst Movie? Sure. I loved it.
1: Oh, good.
0: I thought it was great. It's a fun one. It's really fun. And and I had I haven't seen Troll 2. So we should just yeah say what it's about. Best Worst Movie, how would you describe it?
1: So, Best Worst Movie is about the kind of cult phenomenon of this film called Troll 2, uh, which is goofy, silly, has very strange performances, very strange writing, um, some pretty questionable special effects. (laughs) And it, you know, was made, it was released, didn't really do a whole lot. But then began to found, began to find its audience uh, through you know screenings, through friends, through word of mouth, um, and it created a kind of you know movement within a. The community, which I think is um, a big part of fandom. And uh, it's it's basically a film tracking um, the guy who played the dad within Troll 2, this guy named George Hardy, and, you know, how he goes from, you know, mild-mannered, small-town dentist to kind of finding this really strange cult fame.
0: Had you seen Troll 2 before?
1: I believe that I'd seen the documentary first, and then I went and watched Troll 2. What'd you think? Um, I think... The film, I think, best worst movie makes Troll Two to be crazier than it is. Hmm. Um, it's it's an absolutely bananas film, um, but I've seen I've seen crazier. What's crazier? Um, what's the ones. I, one of the ones I saw recently um, was a newish film called um, Surfer Teen Confronts Fear, uh, which like wow. Wow, I walked into that movie one person and I came out a whole other person. Um, I only lasted 20 minutes through cats uh, because I actually couldn't handle it anymore. Um, Yeah, so I think it's, but again, like cult films, like that kind of like. Bad movie love, which I have, is so personal. They're, they're so crazy. But actually another recent one, which was very strange, is um, a film by uh, the the musician and rock star Glenn Danzig uh, and his film Verotica, which is I I couldn't comprehend it. Um, I I can barely explain it to you except that it's 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 a it's a kind of sexy that I don't know I need to see again. <laughs>
0: Well what's Troll 2 Troll 2's like reputation uh, amongst horror fans?
1: It's that it's like a midnight movie, it's a movie to goof on, it's a movie to like watch with people. And I think that's something that not everyone gets about these the kind of enjoyment of bad films is they don't really work when you watch them on your own. They're better with a group and you need to be able to make fun of them to, you know, develop those inside jokes to do all those things that um create a kind of cult movement
0: yeah i'm kind of curious about the how a cult film gets started i think with this film they mentioned that people would share vhs tapes of troll 2 with each other and you know rocky horror picture show that's obviously another one that people go to see and yell at the screen or sing along to the songs the Room is another one that I, I personally enjoy that one the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we stream everything, I wonder just how a film builds up that sort of cult status now.
1: I think it still happens through screenings and um, there's a a series that happens or a a film festival that happens here in Toronto at the Royal Cinema called WTF Film Fest and that's where I saw Surfer Teen Confronts Fear and uh, they kind of specialize in bringing some of the um, strangest films to the screen and I I believe the Alamo Drafthouse in the States does something similar but it's all very like... You want to hunt for those things, and it's not going to be for everyone. So you have to really look for it, and that's kind of what makes them a gem. Another big thing that uh, can really champion a film for something like this is uh, just film writing about it. Um, You know, the top 10 craziest things to happen in X movie, the, uh, the funniest moments from this movie, they can start to create that online community because it kind of starts with um, people watching it separately and going, "Oh my gosh, what did I just see?" And then someone else kind of saying, "Like, oh yeah, it's so bananas." And then people gravitate towards that, and I think communities kind of start there. Yeah. Well, what what we,
0: these are quote unquote bad movies, but there's a goodness to them that like there, there's a the saying, you know, it's cliche, but it's so bad it's good. Or what makes any bad movie so good?
1: I think it's it, it's it's such a it's such a fine line, and The so-bad-it's-good part, for me, always comes from the unintentional humor. Um, There's an earnestness there that someone, at some point, was actually really trying to make a great film. And along the way, all of these collective decisions happened and we're left with this very strange film we're watching. Um, because film, I think despite the auteur theory, is very much a medium that is about the collective, the collective who makes the film. So when you watch these films, it's constantly like at every stage, you're like, wow, they made those choices. Those choices <laughs> were made by someone at some point.
0: Yeah, the director of this film is interesting because he's an Italian guy. Uh, he, English is not his first language. I think he had a hard time communicating with the actors on set. And I think he still stands by it. I, I think he... I don't think he considers it a, a bad movie. I, 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 he was... A, he, he kind of like Tommy Wiseau a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I think, like, the Italian director of Troll 2, like, best, worst movie, spends a lot of time building up the different characters that we encounter through this film. And the way... I think this film does a really good job of illustrating the way we all cling to certain things. Like, the director needed to cling to the idea that this was actually a great film. Um, You know, George Hardy, who played the dad, is clinging to the fact that he loves to bring people together. Uh, There's all these different things that we all hold on to because we all have to hold on to these beliefs, and when they're shattered, it's really hard. And you see the director kind of grappling with that a little bit. You see George Hardy grappling with that and it's, um, it's complicated.
0: Yeah. Well, the scene where they, uh, George Hardy and a few of the cast members go to a memorabilia exhibition in the UK and it doesn't go too well. Can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think this, this documentary does a really good job of illustrating the kind of, fervent nature of like the midnight screening um, that people come together and you can buy merch and you laugh and you know exactly what you're going for. But it's hard to translate that fandom into something larger like a convention. I haven't seen many people be able to do that and you know the conventions, things like that um, are a bigger like stranger beast than a midnight screening which is very specific it's you know there's a lot of people from a lot of films who are signing who are having photo ops who are doing this and you can buy this here and you can buy that so for a relatively small film like an actually very small film like troll 2 which has a cult following to sit at a booth and be like hi do you want to come see like the best worst movie ever it's not going to generate the same amount of interest as Robert Englund who played Freddy Krueger sitting a few booths down and signing autographs.
0: Yeah. I was a little heartbroken for for them actually. Like I just felt Mm -hmm. like they didn't, they, I think, you know, these guys, I think they get all this attention through the screenings and then they go all the way to another country and they're expecting the same kind of adulation or or love. And, and it's just like, who are you? (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, 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 I feel like you know, George is obviously, I think, pretty upset by that. And I think he he walks away it's, or just leaves at some point just uh, a little bit devastated.
1: <laughs> Who wants my autograph? <laughs> Does anybody want my autograph? <laughs> <laughs> no one's freaking going to come. <laughs> We've come 15,000 miles and nobody's going to come to this table. you got to laugh. Come on. Um,
0: Do you think cult movies have a a certain shelf life?
1: I think we cycle through them within, you know, a year or two. I mean, I I haven't seen a screening of Troll 2 for a very long time. Um, You know, I know certain cinemas in Toronto were screening The Room all the time, but um, I think to diminishing returns. Um, you know, and I think most recently, you know, we had Cats, which was meant to win Oscars. And then it very quickly uh, got, con- it got taken by the kind of cult Midnight Movie audience. And I certainly saw a lot of rep cinemas here in Toronto programming it as a kind of goof screening of Cats. But even that, I found, has like kind of died down now.
0: You know, the last time I watched The Room was with friends at home, like at or someone's living room, and... I actually think I enjoyed it more in that space than I did at the theater. Because if you listen, that dialogue is hilarious. And if you go to a theater, you can't really hear it because everyone's yelling at the screen.
1: You know, it's going to be different each time. Um, Like, you'll get to appreciate all the absurdity of it, like you'll get to experience all the lines, all the this, all the that um, watching it at home but you won't have necessarily the same energy you get at a packed screening um, which also is something else to experience, so I think there's room for for all of them um, for all of those experiences, but yeah it's, it's, they're all pretty special
0: Well now that we have COVID-19 to deal with and theaters have been closed, I don't know when they're going to start opening them up, but I kind of wonder if it's going to scare people from going to the theater and, and experiencing the, the cult movies like Troll 2. I,
1: I think that's a very real concern. and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of organizations, and a lot of different people trying to figure out the best way forward. Um, I certainly know for myself, currently what I'm doing is I have um, a group of friends and every Thursday right now we all get on Zoom. And we voted on a film to watch, like a film to like properly goof on. And we all started at the same time. And then we're on Zoom chat, making fun of it. It's not quite the same as doing it in person, but it does scratch that itch.
0: I do that with my friends. We do Netflix parties as well. And we've been going through a, a slew of 90s films. I think, there, I think there, there is something. Yeah, it does scratch that. Itch. It's not quite the same. But I do like being able to at least think of something funny to say and typing it out and Obviously, you don't get the same kind of reaction that you would hopefully in a a room full of people, but for now it'll do. Okay, I want to ask you about your podcast because I really love it. It's called The Faculty of R. Just tell us a bit about it. How did it get started?
1: Um, so this, uh, so Faculty of Horror is a podcast that I started with Andrea Subisati, who is the executive editor of Romorg magazine, um, over seven years ago. We've been doing this podcast for seven and a half years. Yeah. And, and Andrea and I just kind of become friends when I, when I pitched her this idea. Um, and the idea was essentially like, we should do a horror podcast and both of us did our masters in different things. I did mine in theatre. She did hers in sociology. But for our final papers, we wound up writing about horror films. And hers actually got turned into a book about the sociology of zombies, which is really interesting. And um, and I was like, what if we do like a podcast that analyzes horror films, but in a really like accessible way? Like, sure, we'll talk about Derrida, but we'll break Derrida down so we... So we understand it so our listeners can understand it, and we can all have a conversation about these films and what they mean
0: yeah i I remember listening to one episode where you talked about Terminator Dark Fate and Terminator is not really a horror movie, but it the first movie like what you pointed out I think in the in the podcast was that there are like certain tropes that it has the, in common with like slasher movies, which is something I hadn't really considered before
1: mm-hmm yeah no that's um. it's it's, i think andrea and i are always having conversations amongst ourselves and now with our listeners and, and a lot of other people about the kind of impact that horror and you know popular culture has on us as individuals and as communities and it's a really important conversation that doesn't always get the weight i think it deserves but you know if we look at you know the kind of Uh, legacy of Terminator and how Terminator has kind of gone from um, being this very lo-fi B-movie into a kind of Hollywood icon. Uh, I think that's an absolutely fascinating and appropriate conversation to have.
0: And we should just mention you have some books as well. Can you tell us a bit about those?
1: Sure. Um, So I've written two books. Uh, The first one is films of the new French extremity, visceral horror and national identity, which is essentially about the new French extremity movement, which is a series of films that came out of France in the late 1990s through the kind of, you know, 2000s that all dealt uh, with issues in France in incredibly violent ways. Some are horror movie proper, uh, some are more kind of art house films, but they all share some very similar and some very disturbing DNA that uh, I wanted to explore in that book. And then, My second book uh, is the 1990 teen horror cycle, Final Girls and a New Hollywood Formula, which is about, um, you know, the screen films, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Uh, Fear, The Crush you know, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Um, And that cycle that I really grew up with, um, you know, when I started falling in love with horror films and just looking at the use of feminism within them, um, kind of the cultural misogyny that was happening in the States at the time, and examining how uh, Hollywood was kind of embracing horror in a really significant way and really marketing to a teen audience.
0: Well, I'm always appreciative of your conversations on Faculty of Horror about The French New Extremity because those are movies I just could never watch myself. But I'm fascinated yeah. about them because they have really deep themes. So, yeah, I'm grateful for, to listen to your podcast every time. We've got to wrap up, but maybe you could just tell us where people can find you.
1: Sure. Um, you can find Faculty of Horror on any uh, podcast app that you have. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Faculty of Horror um, or you can find me on Twitter at Scare Alex.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Alex.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And that's the podcast. Before we go, I just want to mention one of my favorite bad movies ever, which is called Shadow Boxer. It was directed by Lee Daniels who did Precious and The Butler and it stars Helen Mirren and Cuba Gooding Jr as assassins who are also lovers and Mirren is playing Cuba Gooding Jr's stepmother and it's crazy it's got a lot of gratuitous nudity and sex in it Helen Mirren is twerking in it it's absolutely the craziest movie I've ever seen and I got to be honest I don't even think it's bad it's exactly what it sets out to be Best Worst Movie is available to stream on Shudder and Troll 2 is available on iTunes if you liked what you heard, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us. You can write to us at ondocs at tvo.org and follow me on Twitter at Colin Ellis 81. This podcast was produced by Matthew, Omar, and me. Production support coordinators are Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell. Our series producer is Katie O'Connor, and our executive producer for digital is Kathy Vay. We'll be back in the fall with new episodes, but in the meantime, have a great summer, everyone, and we'll catch you at the next screening.